Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the Our series text is found in James chapter 1, verse 4. It says, But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That word perfect, let me just let you know that it's not talking about that I'm perfect. i got it all together. I've got everything working like it should be. It just means matured. That I have been completed in Jesus Christ. That He is putting all the pieces that I'm lacking, He's bringing them into my life, and He's making up the difference where I am weak. And so he says, if you'll let patience have its work, I'll bring you into completion. I'll make sure that nothing is lacking in your life. Even though you may be able to point to some missing pieces, I'll make sure that nothing's really missing there in your life. We, through this series, we've seen some great truths in many of the great stories of the Bible. Uh, Those truths that I want to keep reiterating here in this room is that God has a process for getting me to His promise. That God has a process. God is working on a process. And that process is the journey of my life. And He is going to get me to where He's trying to take me. And so my job is to trust His process because His process is perfect. It's not lacking. It's complete. Lacking nothing. Another thing that God has been speaking to us through this series is that my timing is not necessarily God's timing. That I want things to happen in a certain time frame and I set parameters and I set goals and I set plans and those are all good and those are things that I should do. But the truth is sometimes they don't work out according to my timing. But even if they don't work out to my timing, my God has the right timing and His timing is perfect. And when it comes to me, it's going to be maximized for my good and maximized for His glory. We also have learned that He will get us through through His promises to get us through whatever we are facing in this life, but not necessarily get me out of what I'm facing in this life. That's difficult. That's not always gives me goosebumps when I think about that. But I do know that God will get me through whatever I'm facing. My desire as your pastor is to preach the Word to you that sometimes means and doesn't always include what we want to hear. Or what we wish was the truth. Sometimes it means preaching a truth that is difficult to hear and even sometimes difficult to receive. But here's what we know, that even if the truth is hard, truth never leaves us hopeless or in despair. Truth always, always, always leaves us with the knowledge that in the end we win as long as we trust in Him. We always win. As long as we trust in Him. Ultimately, the victory belongs to the believer and for all of those who have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ. And so for the past several weeks, I have preached to you great stories of miraculous deliveries. Stories where people were doing the right thing, yet found themselves in a bad situation because what they did was right. And God, by His power and grace, delivers them out of that mess and elevates them to a lot of times a place of promotion a place of blessing. We've read about, we've talked about the three Hebrew children that are thrown into the fiery furnace, yet God brings them out of that situation. We talked about Daniel in the lion's den, 
thrown into an impossible situation, yet God delivers him out of that situation. We talked about King Jehoshaphat and how God defeated all the enemies that were greater, bigger, stronger, and more plentiful than he was. We even talked about how Joseph was thrown into a pit, yet he ends up in the palace. But my question to you this morning is, what do you do when deliverance doesn't come? What do you do when deliverance doesn't come? Is is that even a reality in the Christian that in this life you may not find yourself on the other side of the furnace? That in this life, is it a possibility that you may not find yourself on the other side of the lion's den, the other side of the enemy, or the other side of the pit? Is it possible that in this life, sometimes deliverance just doesn't come? Pastor, why in the world would you preach something like that? Because I think that we fall prey to disappointment, discouragement, frustration, and failure when we don't understand the reality of this life And more importantly, the reality of the Christian life. See, we all need to understand that even though God is for us and not against us, that even though He is the provider, the healer, that even though He is our present help in times of trouble, that He is most assuredly our deliverer, and so much more that there are times in this life when deliverance just doesn't come. And if that be the case, what must our response be To such a reality. What do I do when deliverance doesn't come? Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that God, you give us attentive ears. You give us open hearts. You give us a receptivity to your word today, Lord God, that will help us in this life to attain the next one. And we thank you for that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to share three stories in the word of God with you that reflect this truth and see what we can take from these stories to help us respond to our journey that we may face in this life. First, let me talk to you about John the Baptist. In Matthew 11 and 11, Jesus says this of John the Baptist. He says, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone, anyone greater than John the Baptist. That's high marks coming from Jesus. Jesus says there's not a person on this planet that is better, greater, more committed, more dedicated, more more, uh, serving my purpose than John the Baptist. He is the best of the best. Later we find John is preaching the word. He's telling the truth. He's doing what is right. He's addressing the behavior of Herod the king. And as a result in Luke 3, 19 and 20, Herod puts him in prison. Now, that's not much different than what we've already seen happen. All of our stories so far have been about someone doing what is right and getting treated unfairly because they were doing what was right. John's no different. He seems to be following the same pattern as all of our other stories are following. Surely, surely deliverance will come for John just as it has for others. Let's read on. Matthew 14 and 5. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered John a prophet. On Herod's birthday, the daughter of Herodias danced for the guest and pleased Herod so much 
that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. The king was distressed, but because of his oaths and his dinner guests, he ordered that her request be granted. And John beheaded in prison. His head was brought in on a platter and given to the girl who carried it to her mother. John's disciples came and took his body and buried it. Then they went and told Jesus. Can I, can I just be real with you for a moment and just be me and not the preacher for just a minute? Is that okay? Here's what I want to say to that. God, you know that's a bunch of junk. That's bull. That, that's, that's not right. That's not fair. God, you promised. I didn't, I didn't ask for it. You promised to be my deliverer. You promised to work all things out to my good. You promised to work on my behalf. My faith was placed in you. I did exactly what I was supposed to do. You out of your own mouth said, there's not one better. Yet here I am, facing execution that there will be no escape from. Not fair. Not right. I was faithful, and not only faithful, but faithful all the way to the point of death. So my question, God, is where's my deliverance? My question, Lord, is where's my blessing? God, I need to ask you, where's my promotion? Where's my reward? Where am I made justified and my enemy made to know? I think that's a bunch of junk. And yet it is in those moments that many of us walk away from God. It's in those moments that we struggle the most. Why didn't God, why didn't you heal my mom? Why, God, why did you not save me from bankruptcy? God, why in the world have you not vindicated me in my work? God, why are you not, did you not save my marriage? Why are my children still not following God? I've been praying. I've been faithful. I've been steadfast, God. I've never walked away. I've never turned my back. I've never quit you. And yet here I am in this moment and I'm looking for deliverance that does not seem to come. Why haven't you delivered me from this? Part of John's story that hits me deeply, maybe because I'm a minister, but it hits me deeply. It's this exchange between he and Jesus while John is in prison. Luke 7, 19 says, And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Now let me just give you some context so you understand exactly what's going on in the situation. John is Jesus' cousin. John was born six months before Jesus and then while Mary was pregnant, John is filled with the Holy Spirit in his mother's womb. 
John grows up from day one knowing exactly who Jesus is. Not only that, John knows exactly who he is in relation to Jesus. He is not conflicted about his calling. He is not struggling with his identity. He very much knows exactly what he is to do and who he is. He knows he is the one that is leading the way for the Messiah to come and he knows exactly who that Messiah is. It is his cousin Jesus. And yet John at the end of his life is sitting in a prison cell because everything that he thought would happen has now not happened. John was the most influential preacher of his day. He's going out into the wilderness and preaching the gospel. And because of his influence, people are leaving the synagogues in droves and they are going out to the temple. They are clearing out the temple. And the Pharisees are so angry with John because now they don't have a crowd. They've all gone and out to the wilderness. And it's said that at at John's time, he may have preached to many millions of people in just a short period of time that he lived on earth. Greatness. And John, in his mind while he's in prison, he has to be thinking, because this is what I would think. I'm thinking, God, we had a good thing going. We, we had revival taking place out in the wilderness. I'm baptizing people every single day. Good things are happening. What in the world is going on now that I am in a prison cell and I am waiting for the executioner to come and take my head? And so John in his final moments is saying, Have I missed it? Is something wrong with me? Are you the Messiah really? Because his question really isn't that. You have to see beyond that. His question is, am I really who I thought I was? You know, am I really the servant that I thought I was? Am I really your man like I thought I was? Am I, am, I, am I the Christian? Am I the, the father? Am I, am I the person that you thought that I thought I was? I guess not because if I was, surely, surely, surely I would not be standing in this moment waiting for that guy to come to take my head. Verse 22, Jesus answered and said to him, Go and tell John the things that you have seen and heard. That the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed it, you. I'm in prison and you're going to say to me, blessed is he who is not offended because of me? I don't like it. Are y'all Okay. I'm just saying this. If I'm John, my response is, that's it? That's all you got to say to me? That's the best response you can get? Where is my word? Where's my word of knowledge? Where's my word of wisdom? Where's my message in tongues and interpretation? Where, where is, is my biblical scripture That's going to get me through. The only thing you're going to say to me is blessed is he who is not offended because of me. That's all you have to say to me after all this. What do you do when deliverance doesn't come? Let's leave John for a moment right where he's at. 
And let's look at our second story, the story of Paul. Paul was like John, a great man of God. Once Paul gave his life to Christ, he spent three decades, 30 years, preaching the gospel in Europe and Asia. He built countless churches. He raised up men and women called by God to lead churches. He opened the door to the Gentiles to receive Christ and wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. We are here today because of what Paul started many, many years ago. We are saved today because the gospel was preached to the Gentiles of whom we are a part. So surely something will be different. Paul really is kingdom greatness personified. He is the example of the Christian man or woman. This is what we ought to be like. Yet Paul, like John, finds himself in prison. He's in Rome and he's awaiting execution for preaching the word of God. Surely this story will be different though. Surely this time the pattern for our, of our former stories will hold true. And John was just some kind of an anomaly. But unfortunately, no. Paul's life comes to an end just like John's. And his deliverance never comes in this life. Paul recognizes this as his reality. And then he pins these words in 2 Timothy 4, 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. To me, you kind of get the sense that this is not a surprise to Paul. And that in a way, he's actually okay with this being the reality of his life. This truth that sometimes in his life, deliverance doesn't come. He kind of gets that, understands that. How can that be? Paul, throughout his writings, carries this kind of sentiment. Many times he faces death. Many times he's delivered by the miraculous hand of God. And yet, this time he does not seem to be bothered by the reality that this time he will not be delivered. Previously, Paul had written things like this in Scripture. 2 Corinthians 5 eight. We are confident, yes, well, please, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. He writes in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Paul understands something. Paul gets something. Paul knew that the prize was not this life, that it was the next life. Paul knew that the greatest blessing was not coming in this life, it was coming in the next life. Paul understood that what really matters is not what God does for us here, but what God has prepared for us there. And so Paul, in some of his last words on this earth, tells us a secret to his success. He gives us the key to living with hope, even when and if deliverance doesn't come. Let's read them together. 2 Timothy 4, 7. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And then in verse 8, finally, he says, With finality I declare these words. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. So how do I live with hope when deliverance doesn't seem to come? How do I live with hope when deliverance never comes? Paul gives us three ways. He says, first, fight the good fight. In other words, do all you can. 
Fight for everything that you believe in. Never give up. Never quit seeking and serving God. Paul knew his life was a fight against the enemy and his plans for Paul. So every day he got up and he prepared because he knew the enemy's agenda was to kill, steal, and destroy. And that he must, if he was going to prepare for the day, he had to take on the full armor of God and take a stand against that very enemy. That every single day I get up with the knowledge and understanding that this day is going to be a fight. And I'm going to fight the good fight. I'm not going to fight half-heartedly. I'm not just going to give it a little bit. I'm going to pour myself out today. And I'm going to do the best life today that I can possibly do. Jesus tells us we don't have tomorrow. We don't have the next breath. We don't have the next moment. So my only recourse is that today, in this moment, in this minute, I do everything that I can for the glory and the kingdom of God. Paul would fight for truth. He would fight for those who couldn't fight for themselves. He would fight for the lost. Every day he was fighting the good fight. He was determined to fight that fight. And so whether deliverance come for you or it doesn't, church, you've got to fight the good fight. And my question to you in this room today is where's your heart? Where's your heart? And I'm not talking about what your heart's for. I'm talking about where's your passion? Where's your drive? Where's your motivation? Where's your heart to fight for the kingdom of God and fight for a Savior and fight for your life and fight for your family? We've got to find that thing. We can't let the enemy lay it open and leave it on the, the altar of, of this world. we got to fight for that. 1 Timothy 6.12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. Church, I'm begging you, don't let the enemy win in your life. Don't let the enemy win in your life. I'm not quitting. You're not quitting. I'm not giving up. You're not giving up. I'm not walking away. You're not walking away. I'm not throwing in the towel. You're not throwing in the towel. I am going to fight. We are going to fight until our very last breath. And we're going to fight for our church. We're going to fight for our family. We're going to fight for our community, our friends, our finances. And we're going to fight until we can't fight anymore. Fight the good fight. Deliverance may not come to me. But let it be said that I fought until my very last breath. Fight the good fight. Paul says, I am determined to finish the race. Paul spends his last moments on this earth not sitting in a prison cell feeling sorry for himself. He spends his last moments pinning the New Testament. He spends his last moments writing letters to churches and to his people, and investing every little piece of who he is into someone else so that it lasts beyond him. Paul spends his moment directing pastors and churches and taking every moment and every opportunity to finish and to finish well. He's not stopping and taking a moment for himself. Instead, he's finishing the race. Paul saw his life as a journey and he knew the finish line was quickly approaching yet he finishes and he finishes strong. You and I are on a journey. We're on a journey and wherever the finish lies ahead for us is to be determined by the sovereignty of God. But how we finish is determined by us. 
When we finish is determined by Him, but the how is determined by you and me. I get to decide that. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, You've all been to the stadium and you've seen the athletes race. Everyone runs. One wins. Run to win. We're running this thing to win. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Finish the race. It's not over, church, till you breathe your last breath in this life. Don't just finish. Finish well. Oh, my goodness. I look across this crowd and I see a church full of finishers. Hmm. I see a people that are willing to finish, that are going to stay true all the way to the end. We're not walkaways. We finish the race. Paul said, I keep the faith. Paul kept the faith all the way to the end. He trusted that if God did not deliver him in this life, he would surely deliver him in the next. His faith was not that God was going to bring him through to real blessing and real promise and real deliverance in this life. It was that he would bring him through to real faith and real deliverance and real promise and real blessing in the next life. We have to keep the faith. We have to keep believing all the way to the end, regardless of the doctor's report, regardless of the bank account, regardless of the facts surrounding us. We keep the faith and we never stop trusting and believing God. Hold on to it like the prize that it is. Paul said, even though I'm in prison and waiting my execution... I know there is laid up for me a crown in heaven and soon I will receive my reward for this life. We face doubt, but we don't give in to it. We face fears, but they don't own us. We face uncertainty, but remain confident that he who has begun a good work will bring it to completion. We will keep the faith. Keep the faith. Jesus is your deliverer. He may not deliver you from the trouble in this life, but He will certainly deliver you from the trouble in the next life. I know it's hard here, but it's also temporary. Our lives are meant to matter in eternity. And how we fight here, how we run our race here, how we keep our faith here is going to matter over there. The problem for us is this. That we have grown to love this life too much and that life too little. That we have longed for this life too much and that life too little. But the blessings and deliverances and miracles that we receive in this life are just tokens and deposits that point to the greatness of the next life. And so I speak to you this morning and I challenge you to live for eternity. Live your life here so it matters there. And even when deliverance doesn't come, it won't really matter. Because I realize the prize is not here. The prize is heaven. Philippians 3.13, Paul says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting all of those things which are behind me, I reach forward to those things which are ahead. 
And he goes on to say the prize, the high calling of Christ Jesus. Lauren, would you come this morning? The last story is the best story. Another story of non-deliverance. This story takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane. And our Savior Jesus Christ is praying to God in His final hours before the cross. And He says these words in Matthew 26. Verse 39, He says, He went a little further and fell on His face and prayed, saying, O Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Scripture tells us in verse 43 and 44 that He prayed a second time this prayer and a third time this prayer. And then he gets up and he goes and faces what will be his end. Who understands why sometimes deliverance doesn't come? Why is it sometimes people are healed and other times they're not? Who understands why some people find answers and blessing and relief and deliverance and others do not? I don't know. But I do know that He is good. That He is just. That He is fair. And that He is working all things out to my good. And even if, like John and Paul, I die in a prison cell, in the end my hope is found in Jesus Christ. I know that regardless of what happens in this life, the prize I'm seeking is in the next life. And because of that, I can say, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Had He not, had Jesus not gone to the cross, where would we be? Had He not died a sinner's death, there would be no salvation for you and me. Had He not gone to the tomb, we could have not gone to heaven. Had He not paid the price for me, I would be lost to hell. And had He not submitted to the will and sovereignty of the Father, heaven remains unavailable to me. But because He did, I now have hope. Stand with me across this room. So here is my message of hope for you today. It is the message of the blessed hope of Christ Jesus. John 14, 1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We have this hope that Jesus has prepared a place for us with Him. And so it does not matter in this life what happens because I know what awaits me in the next life. Jesus' response to John earlier seems inadequate in this life. From a worldly perspective, it is inadequate. But can I tell you what Jesus said to John a split second after John's head was taken? Jesus said this to him. His Lord said to him, Well done, my good and faithful servant. 
You've been faithful over a few things. Now I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. That's our hope. That's our promise. And so this morning, so whatever you are facing today in this life, it's worth it. It's going to be worth it in the next life. So world, do what you will with me in this life because I know what God has prepared for me in the next one. When deliverance doesn't come in this life, it changes nothing. I still fight the good fight. I still finish the race. I still keep the faith. Because there's a crown of victory prepared for every one of us that do those things. So this morning, here's what I feel. I feel like there's many people in this room that you've been waiting for deliverance to come for a long time. And let me just expand that a little bit in the context of it and just say it may not be deliverance from something. Maybe you've been praying for a promise that you haven't gotten yet. I don't understand why. I don't know why some people can come and pray one time and see the things that they ask for done in their lives and some people come and pray 40, 50 years and it still doesn't happen. I don't know why, but I know He's good. And I know He's fair. And I know He's just. And I know that in the end, all things work together for good. I know that. I know that. And so some of you are in this place today and you are heartbroken. You are discouraged. You are defeated. You feel like everything that I've done is wasted. And you, like John in that prison cell, are not wondering who Jesus is perhaps, but you're wondering who you are. And you're just wondering, God, am I the man that you've called me to be? Am I the woman that I'm really supposed to be? Am I enough of a mom? Am I enough of a dad? Am I enough of a husband? Enough of a wife? Am I enough of a worker? Am I enough of a Christian? Am I enough of anything? Today, there's hope for you this morning. There's help for you in this room this morning. There's a Savior who tends to the hearts of the broken. And this morning, I just believe that if you will come and pour your heart out to Him. You know, I love this about Jesus. Jesus doesn't get twisted off because John says, Are you really who you say you are? Jesus' heart is broken for John. And no matter what you come and bring to Him this morning and say to Him, I promise you His heart is broken for you and your brokenness. He has come to heal the brokenhearted. And He has healing for you right now in this place this morning. And so if you're awaiting a promise that has not come, if you're awaiting deliverance that has not shown up this morning, and you're feeling the weight of despair and discouragement, I'm not going to ask you to bow your heads or close your eyes. I'm just going to ask you to step out of your seat and come forward this morning and let God meet you right here in this place today. Would you come? Would you come? Would you come? There is, there is hope for you this morning. There is help for you this morning. There is healing for you this morning. There is rescue for you today. Bring it and leave it here this morning. Would you come? There are others in this room. I know. I know because I've, I've, I've heard what you've said. 
I've heard what we've prayed about in these altars. I know that many of you are waiting on something to happen in your life. And I'm just telling you, don't miss a moment where God's healing and grace and strength is here to touch your life. Please come. Please come. Now I'm going to ask you that are still in your seats, would you come and find somebody in these altars this morning? Find somebody to put your arm on their shoulder. Let's partner with each other today. We're going to find some help from one another. You know, Jesus delivers help to us through one another. And He is delivering it to us today. God, I pray for the people in this room this morning. For those that have come here with broken hearts, that are struggling with pain and struggling to find reasons for the why in their lives, God, we're going to surrender that in this moment right now. God, I'm going to quit asking why, and I'm just going to trust the who. Come on, there's victory for you this morning in that right now. I want you to say in your own words, God, I'm going to let go of the why and I'm going to trust the who. That you are who you say you are. You are my God. You are my King. You are my answer. You are my hope. You are my help. And you are everything that I need. That God, you and yourself are enough portion for me. You're my portion. You're my portion, God, this morning. You are the answer for my life. You're the help that I've been looking for, God. You're the person that I'm pursuing today, God. I'm going to quit pursuing answers. I'm going to quit pursuing means to an end. God, I am going to pursue you. And I'm going to let you work all things out according to your perfect will. Your process is perfect. Your timing is perfect, God. You have promised to get me through this. And you will get me through this. Eternity awaits me this morning, God. And with that, I find all the hope that I need this morning. We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We would love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Sunday school and at 10.30 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you would like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. These cursed memories we would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street, Burkrenet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the Till I found myself face down on your shore. You say, come to the river.